Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that, and I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome, everyone, to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. So much to get to this week. Madrid preview, French Open power rankings, and two young players breaking out with their maiden ATP titles last week, Sebastian Baez and Estoril, and Holger Rune in Munich. I want to talk about both of those guys um, because they certainly deserve it. All right, French Open power rankings. Right off the bat, again, Estoril in Munich. There's a, there's a bit of movement, nothing at the top, okay? I will start by showing you April 24th. These were the power rankings. Alcaraz at number three moved up, and Rude moved down one, and uh, leapfrogged. Uh, Rublev leapfrogged him. Schwartzman moved up one, and Pablo Carreño Busta got added to the next out. Okay, and now it is May 1st, everybody, Roland Garros month, and we do have some changes. Sinner and Rublev move up over Zverev, who drops down to number six after his loss to Holgaru. And it's not just that he lost. Uh, he he put in a terrible performance. I, uh, I called the match on Tennis Channel. It was great. I enjoyed it a lot. I'll get into it a little bit more later, but uh, Zverev couldn't hit a forehand. So that was that. And now kind of, uh, you know, we had a semifinal in Monte Carlo, but these performances are just adding up. And now he's defending champion Madrid in Madrid. So he definitely has a chance, a very good chance, that number six is the lowest he'll ever get in this. But he does need to turn things around and start showing us something because he also lost to Tsitsipas very comprehensively. And as a result, he didn't go anywhere in the power rankings. You're not penalized for losing to someone really above you in the rankings, generally speaking. Now he's losing to someone who's not even on here in Holger Rune, and he's getting crushed. So uh, he moves down two spots. Schwartzman also passes Kaspar Rude. Rude takes a loss to Botik van de Zanschkulp. He also struggled against Alex Molkan in round one. The streak ends of clay 250s. He had won five in a row. Buenos Aires this, this year and four of them last year in the second half, starting with Geneva. Something looks a little off. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's up, but something looks wrong. So he moves down one spot. Miamir Ketsmanovic, it shouldn't say plus one, it should just say plus. Ketsmanovic moves from the next out spot to number nine. Look, the week-to-week consistency is undeniable. He has now made quarterfinals in six straight events, and now finally he's won one of the quarterfinals. He kept losing in that stage, but he makes the semifinal. He plays a good, long, hard match against Botic, who just looked fantastic this week. Uh, if he... You know, he doesn't, he, he's not on the rankings here and he's not in the next out, but he's really knocking on the door. Uh, not enough players played this week. So I didn't want to, you know, it's not fair to really take players out when they don't even play. Uh, but Botic uh, was really, really great this week. Uh, Cam Nori moves down one spot. Ketsmanovic leapfrogs him at number nine. All right, that's it. Uh, if you have not been watching every week, Please know that Rafael Nadal will be in the French Open Power Rankings next edition. He's just got to play first. He's about to play, and then he'll be added to the rankings. Berrettini and Medvedev, not so sure we'll see him. We may never see him. And that is that. 
So Madrid preview coming up in a moment after a shout out to Player Court, the place to go if you're looking for a local coach, practice partner, or match. The number one reason people stop playing tennis is because they can't find anyone to play with. I don't want that to happen to you, so I have arranged a special discount to join the Player Court community. 50% off, playercourt.com slash gilgross. Link is in the description. Let me talk about Madrid real quick. You, you know my spiel if you watched last year. Not really, not really a clay court. I mean, it is. It is a clay court in the sense that consistency in defense will be rewarded in baseline rallies. It's difficult to control the ball. It's still clay court movement. If you can be very consistent, if you can defend a lot and move well and keep the ball on the court, it's similar to a clay court in the sense that that will play a role in Madrid. You can defend. It's not like Wimbledon where it's like, okay, great job. You're going to try to grind. Good luck with that. It's not like that. However, it is an altitude. The air is very thin, over 2,000 feet of altitude. The architecture of the stadium keeps all the elements out. So it has a very indoorsy feel. And between the altitude and the, the still conditions, people just love serving there. And the serve numbers are always very good. High ace rates, high first serve one percentage. John Isner likes it there, as we'll get to. Uh, the final last year was Berrettini and Zverev. It was Sabalenka Barty on the women's side. This is a server's tournament, and clay is usually not that, and this is that. So it's uh, it's quite a bit different, and I also think it rewards you know flatter hitters a little bit more than than usual in terms of just how how the I don't know I I think thinner air topspin doesn't really bring down the ball quite as well, and. Uh, I, you know, Nadal has never enjoyed this tournament compared to the other clay tournaments. Um, as another aside, so I'm really looking for players who can serve big, but also can also play a grinding, consistent clay court game. If that makes sense. Let's go to. The quarter-by-quarter quarter preview, if you're new to the channel, I will give you a dark horse. That is an unseeded player who I think has a chance to go deep. I'll give you an upset alert. That is a seeded player who I think might lose early. I will give you an early popcorn match. That is a match that I do not think you should miss in round one. Sometimes round two, but I think I stuck to round ones in this. I will, of course, give you also a quarterfinal prediction. Novak Djokovic is the top seed. In his quarter is Kaspar Ruud, Hubert Hurkacz, and Denis Shapovalov. My dark horse in this quarter is Alejandro Davidovich Fakina. There were some options here. There are plenty of big names from Gael Monfils to Andy Murray and Dominic Thiem to, uh, that's about it, I, Borna Cioric, who's been a dark horse recently. But I feel like Davidovich Fakina, being the showman that he is, being a player who is riding a wave of confidence, who lost a, a great, you know, epic match to Tiafo in Estoril, but I don't really uh, put much stock into that. I, I think that he is the best option among the unseeded players to go deep. On upset alert is Denis Shapovalov. I'm concerned about Denis Shapovalov. He's been inactive. I can't really figure out why. It's one thing if you're having a lot of success and you want to rest, you want to take a break. And I understand some of the North American players do this, but many of them at least played Houston. It's another thing when you're really struggling and you don't go deep at Indian Wells and you don't go deep in Miami and then you don't show up until Madrid. It's strange to me. Now, he is starting to work with Jamie Delgado, new coach. Maybe they wanted a training block together. That's the positive way of spinning it. I don't know that I'm there. I don't feel like he's uh, very eager to have success on clay. That's not the sense I get because he's not really putting in the work. 
to play these clay court events. Um, it was kind of weird that he didn't play Roland Garros last year. Not going to lie. Kind of weird. It worked out for him, right? He made the semis at Wimbledon. So I don't know. I just don't know what's going on with Chapo. He's my upset alert. Uh, early popcorn, very, very easy. Andy Murray versus Dominic Team in round one. This is like a... Look, if I were Dana White, okay, and that's how tennis worked. Dana White, the president of the UFC, has a role in making, deciding who fights each other. If I were Dana White, I might make this match. If that's how this worked, I might do it. It's just kind of perfect. You know, they're both uh, teams on the comeback trail. He's still looking for his first win of 2022. Andy... Uh, hasn't been able to really make a run this year, right? I, I feel like he hasn't. It's It's been a struggle for him. Obviously, both have had history with with injuries for Murray. You know, he's actually been able to stay healthy for a while, but it's just uh, he wasn't even expecting to play clay. So it's kind of, uh, it's just an interesting match. It's just an interesting match. I favor Murray slightly. I do. Um, let me get to the quarterfinal. I will talk about Djokovic and Rude and Hercoc, um, after, but, uh, let's reveal it. Okay. Djokovic defeats Hubert Hercoc. I think that Novak has, first of all, uh, a really good section, whether he plays Monfils, he's got Shapovalov and Umber and Murray and team. That's, that's a quality draw for Djokovic, in my opinion. You know, Monfils 17-0 against Gail Monfils. I mean, come on. Uh, as for Rude versus Hercoc, and as much as, you know, I make Alejandro Davidovich Fakina a dark horse, I really didn't consider him moving him through. Look, this is, this is a pick where I feel like something's wrong with Rude, and I don't know what it is. He just looks off. And Hercoc on clay, I mean, that's... He was 1-4 and four on clay last year. He doesn't play well on clay, but... Again, this isn't really traditional clay. And I actually didn't think Hercoc was that impressive in Monte Carlo. Still went pretty deep and picked up a couple of victories and beat some good clay quarters. And he did that just by serving that well. Serving so darn well in Monte Carlo that he was able to basically serve his way through to, I believe, the quarterfinals. If he can do that in Monte Carlo, he can certainly do that in Madrid where players have tons of uh, success with their serve. Simple as that. But for Djokovic, I think that would be a great matchup. We know how Djokovic's return is going to frustrate anyone who expects to ride the coattails of their big first serve. Djokovic's return looked uh, really, really good in Belgrade uh, for the most part as well. You know, that was not the problem at, in any of his matches. So uh, I do think it would be a good a good chance for Djokovic to obviously get returns in play, break down the Hercoc forehand. So I move through Djokovic, and with that, let's move to Rafael Nadal's quarter. Nadal has Alcaraz, Nori, and Carreño Busta. This is, um, obviously, there is an argument to be made that the three favorites in Madrid, and I'm not saying I'm, I subscribe to this argument, but there's a good argument to be made that the top three favorites are all in the top half of this draw in in no particular order, Nadal, Djokovic, and Alcaraz. So just throwing that out there. There's, uh, I, I don't agree with that, actually. But you could say that. My dark horse in this quarter, I have two of them, John Isner and Miramir Ketsmanovic. Again, Ketsmanovic just undeniably at a top 20 level week in and week out these days. And the clay, I think with the way he returns, uh, the clay is a surface that does suit him. But I do think he, he's going to be an all-surface player the way he's going. Uh, but, you know, never an easy out. Will there be fatigue? Will there be a letdown at some point? Can he continue to make the quarterfinal every single week? I don't know. But Ketsmanovic at this point, he's an automatic dark horse if he's not seated. And by the way, his ranking just moved into Roland Garros seating. He's now, I believe, 32 in the world. So uh, that's big for him. And Isner, 
again, just really enjoys these conditions because of how well his serve works. Now, Isner's body, it might it might be breaking down on him here in 2022. You knew it was going to happen at some point, and it might be now. So this is the kind of tournament where you keep an eye on Isner. We're beginning, like, he already won his first round match. I think he played Krajinovic. If he continues to suffer from subpar results at tournaments like this, we'll know something's really wrong. And we know that Isner, we'll know at that point that Isner might be closer to the finish line than we may have thought or it may have looked like last year. I don't have anyone on upset alert. I do think that all of these seeds are solid. I don't know that Cam Nori or Pablo Carreño Busta, as we've seen with the way Alcaraz has played both Nori and Carreño Busta, the way that Nadal has played both Nori and Carreño Busta. I think if you combined their head-to-head, it would be carnage. It would be Nadal and Alcaraz completely eating up Carreño Busta and Nori. I know that for a fact with a lot of those head-to-heads. So, uh, you know, they don't have the weaponry or the firepower to challenge the top two seeds in this quarter. But I also think that they are very, very solid, consistent players who are unlikely to really suffer an upset um, at at any point here. Now, I will say Nadal Nadal's first match could be Ketsmanovic. And, you know, that doesn't bode well for Rafa Nadal. Um, it's just not ideal. Ketsmanovic is just playing that well. He takes his backhand early on the rise extremely well. He can control points off of that side. Um, and he's going to ask a lot of, of Nadal in that matchup unless there's fatigue, unless there's a letdown. But definitely not the ideal start for Nadal. I want to throw that out there. So my quarterfinal is Alcaraz defeats Nadal. Now, let me talk about Nadal in general. I think he can hit the ground running. This is another example, and I think I talked about this last week, where I had I was in a situation. I guess it was with, um, you know, maybe not, but it's another situation where Alcaraz kind of messes up the draw, right? Like in Miami, my top two contenders. Now one of these turned out to be wrong. Uh, it was was Felix. I'll get to him later. Uh, was Felix and Alcaraz. Those were that was my top two in Miami, and that's kind of how I approach these things. Usually, I kind of build myself like a little bit of a power ranking, but more so, you know, a more subjective power ranking. You know what I'm feeling. Um, but they met in the quarterfinals, so I had to have one lose in the quarters. This is kind of a similar situation, sort of, where you know I did not, I did not expect. I, I'm high on Nadal. Is all I want to say. I you know given. How things have looked in 2022, amazing, undefeated until the Indian Wells final. And I just don't think he's missed enough time for us to be really concerned. He, you know, a lot of players haven't played since really Indian Wells, uh, sorry, Miami. And uh, it's not enough time where I don't think Russ is going to play a factor. I think he's going to hit the ground running. However, this pick is more about Madrid and momentum and confidence with Alcaraz and the fact that I think about what I think about Nadal's loss to Dominic Team recently in Madrid. I think about Nadal's loss to um, Stefano Tsitsipas a couple years back in Madrid. And I'm seeing those matches and it's the same thing. It's players who are being ultra aggressive on their forehand with massive power and for some reason this court for Nadal it starts to look like he's playing indoors and he gets pushed around he gets bullied a little bit by these guys with massive forehands so I'm just seeing those matches in my head Uh, I believe both of those were quarterfinals I'm looking at another quarterfinal against Alcaraz where Nadal is coming off a layoff and yeah I I go with Carlos here that's kind of um Mostly the logic. Oh, I didn't get to the early popcorn. PCB versus BVDZ. Did I just want to say a lot of letters? Yes, partially. But uh, that's a top 20 matchup. If my power rankings extended to 20, both of those guys would be in there. I I, I assure you. I want to get to Botic later. I want to just give him a little shout out. He's playing great. 
I have some thoughts. And uh, Karenia Busta has really figured out how to play on clay. He's playing really well. All of his losses are quality losses. He, he doesn't lose to players who are uh, lesser than him. He pulled out a nice win against Rude a couple weeks ago, too. So that's a great first-round matchup. Don't miss that one. Let's go to the bottom half now. Stefano Tsitsipas is the four seed. Top seeds are him, Rublev, Schwartzman, and Bautista Agut. Really strong quarter again. My dark horse in this quarter is Jensen Brooksby. I'm really not thrilled about this. You know, my th- my take on Brooksby and and he has he hasn't been active um, since Houston and he lost first round in Houston. Uh, do I think Clay is going to be his best surface? Not really. Uh, I do think that again, like I'm not I'm not thrilled about Brooksby. I don't know what to expect, but of the names here, he's kind of the guy. And I thought about Dimitrov. I did. He plays Cressy though, who qualified in the first round, and Cressy's starting to build up some confidence. That's, you know, I would say maybe 60% Dimitrov wins. I think Cressy has a good chance there. Um, but, you know, he, he was the name I went with in, in, in a, a section that just does not have a lot of unseated players that intrigue me from Karen Hatchinov and Lucas Puy to Benoit Pair, Del Bonus, and Dan Evans. I mean, I, I don't I don't know where to go there. And to me... Uh, Brooksby, who's still kind of a wild card, still an unknown factor. We don't have a lot of sample size of him on clay. Uh, it's obviously going to be interesting to see how, you know, how the thin air suits him or doesn't suit him. He's got a great set of lungs on him. We know that he does very well to control the ball, and I, I, I doubt that he's going to have a lot of trouble um, keeping the ball in the court in altitude, which can sometimes be a, a real strength. Obviously, he doesn't have the serve in the offensive game that some players are able to benefit from in Madrid. Uh, Diego Schwartzman is terrible at this tournament. Year after year after year, he has never done anything. He is not good. Uh, it is, again, an example, I think, of um, a player who gets pushed around, you know, and he he can't, he doesn't benefit from the serve, and for whatever reason, he's uncomfortable in these conditions. He's on upset alert. Early popcorn, RBA versus Brooksby round one. Uh, they keep playing, don't they? Brooksby and RBA. And I believe uh, Brooksby has his number. Let me just double check. Um, oh no, they've only played once and it was a great match. It was in Miami. Uh, Brooksby won in a great three-setter, 6-4 in the third. Okay, that confirms my early popcorn pick because it was a great match last time and Maybe it'll be a great match this time. I feel good once again about the top seeds in this one. My quarterfinal is Tsitsipas defeats Rublev. Rublev has um, Rublev can play Tsitsipas in quick conditions. He can rush the backhand. He can attack the backhand. And um, he can have success here. I just think the second serve discrepancy is so vast right now that uh, I do think Tsitsipas can take advantage of that. And I think it does give him a leg up on on Rublev. But this is a this is a tough one for me. I think Rublev is easily a easily a top five. I, I don't know if it's five or six, but a fifth or sixth favorite here. It's one that I'm high on. I think he should like these conditions. I expect Rublev at some point in his career to do well in Madrid. I know he lost to Isner last year. It was pretty bad luck. He outplayed John and, you know, Isner just won every big point and tie break. So that was that. Uh, but I go with Tsitsipas here here narrowly. Um, the ability for Tsitsipas to protect his backhand, it it's still accentuated on the clay. And that's going to be a big deal against Rublev in that matchup. So that and really the second serve discrepancy. Let us go to Zverev's quarter, the number two seed. And this is the quarter where you're probably thinking, I mean, look, Djokovic's quarter is kind of weak, especially if Rude is, if something's going on with Rude. And this quarter is weak. But this quarter is weaker because there's really no one who you feel great about here. Zverev is not playing well. 
Madrid is a tournament that Zverev's win, won twice, and I think before Zverev retires, I think he's going to win it four or five times. The conditions are perfect for him. It is exactly how I would design a court for Zverev. I would put it in altitude so his serve is bigger. I would cover it up so that you know the elements don't get in the way of, of again, his serve and how well he can serve. But I would make it clay so that he can grind, so that he can defend and be, you know, and, and win win on his defense from the baseline. And that's what this court is. It's perfect for Zverev. But if he's gonna be a, a wreck mentally, then and if he can't hit a forehand, then he's not gonna go anywhere here. Now, it would be very Zverev like to win this tournament. <laughs> um so I won't. I won't give it away. I haven't revealed the quarterfinal. You know, FAA. FAA is just struggling immensely right now. We know that. And uh, Sinner. I always worry about Italians in Madrid. Rome is next week. Uh, Berrettini did a great job last year, but in general, if you look at a lot of Italians, this is their worst clay um, because it's it's difficult to really give the attention that this tournament deserves when the biggest tournament of the year for them is next week. And Sinner doesn't have the serve that can help him out here. Opelka's Opelka. You know, he's the 15 seed. Um, and I won't give away too much. My dark horse here is Sebastian Korda and Marin Cilic. Korda playing good offensive and aggressive tennis. He's been very inconsistent, but he did look really good uh, in Estoril. Marin Cilic is a player who is pretty much a non-factor at all clay court tournaments, except this one, uh, He at this stage in his career at least. Uh, he did make the quarterfinal last time he played here for what it's worth, and he looks fine. You know, Chilich still looks fine. He's not really in a steep decline right now, to my eyes. I think he's, you know, maintaining a borderline top 30 level, but a, a top 30 level that can be very kind of, I guess, high at, at its peak, meaning when everything is kind of working for him, he can be a, a real difficult player to deal with. Early popcorn here is Yannick Sinner versus Tommy Paul. I love this match. I love Tommy Paul. I think he's got a great entertainment value there. And uh, I think he can play a good match with Sinner. And Opelka versus Korda, you know, next-gen American battle. And 50-50 match there. That's a really tough one to call between Opelka and Korda. And uh, I think that uncertainty really adds to the early popcorn factor. Not to mention... This quarter is so open. It's not like Opelka and Korda are playing and uh, they're in Nadal, Alcaraz, or Djokovic, or Tsitsipas, or, you know, um, or Rublev even. It's not even like they're in that that kind of section. They're in, um, let me see. They are in Zverev section. And you just don't know about Zverev right now. So, you know, you feel like, oh, I'm sorry, they're in, they're in FAA, even more so. FAA, I'm even lower on FAA at this tournament than, than I would be regularly. Um, so, yeah, there's intrigue there for me. As far as uh, the quarterfinal is concerned, let me get to it here. Let me reveal it. Uh, Opelka defeats Sinner. Look, I, I thought about putting Zverev through. I, I did. But... I'm trying not to be chalky. I have chalk pretty much up and down, except for Alcaraz beating Nadal, which is not a bold pick. It's not. Um, I didn't want to be chalky. I don't know what's going... You know, Zverev's so hard to predict. Again, for all I know, he wins the tournament. FAA should play better here. It's at altitude. He's got a great first serve. But do you know what the last couple weeks have revealed for Felix? It's revealed that the, the issues run deeper for Felix right now than just the the slower clay conditions. That's obvious to me at this point. It wasn't obvious. Now it's obvious. I think he's struggling mentally because he finally won a title. You know, that's my only explanation here. I think he's there's been a bit of a letdown because he's had this thing that has kind of defined his career, unfortunately, for a couple of years now. And he's triumphed and he's moved past it. And other than other than FAA making the final the very next week in Rotterdam, other than that, all of the evidence points to the fact that he has had a an emotional dip as a result of finally getting that title. 
So even though the conditions suit FAA better here in Madrid, I'm not going to put him through. And I'm not going to be, you know, I, I have Sinner instead. And I, I feel decent about that. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I, I'm going to take a shot on Opelka. Um, I don't, like, feel amazingly confident about it, but it, it kind of fits the Madrid thing that I'm going for. I think, again, the, the serving is the obvious thing with Opelka. I think big servers have a great chance here. And he does a good job uh, staying in baseline rallies. He he can hang in there. And, and he's fine on clay. And he's made two Masters semifinals last year. He made one in Rome, which I think was a little bit fluky. And he made one in Canada. So these tend to be the tournaments that he locks in on most. I think best of five can get a little bit arduous for him. I think it gets a little bit long and physical. And I think some of the smaller tournaments, I think he gets bored. He's not someone who really is all there all the time. So I feel like the Masters have been his best hunting ground. All these things combined, I like to take a dart and take a shot on Opelka to the semis. Let us reveal now the final weekend in three, two, one. Djokovic defeats Alcaraz in three sets. Tsitsipas defeats Opelka in three sets. Tsitsipas defeats Djokovic in three sets. Um, I think that I don't want to break down these matchups too much technically. Um, I feel good about Djokovic coming in here. You know, I uh, every year except 2018 when he was just uh, a, he was just not a good player in 2018 at this time. Um, every year since 2018, he's done better at Madrid than he did in Monte Carlo. I thought we saw tons of positive signs last week in Belgrade. Uh, I think he's going to be fit, and he has the. Um, you know, I I do think he has that that pedigree defensively and in trading that uh, I'm fascinated, you know, to see this Djokovic Alcaraz matchup, but I, I think he can force Alcaraz into playing one of those matches where he is over hitting into unforced errors. Um, Tsitsipas defeats Opelka. Look, that's a bad matchup for Steph. I mean, that that's difficult for him. He might have some returning issues, in this tournament, in altitude like this, you know, that's the one thing that concerns me about Tsitsipas here, but I'm just not really going to pick Opelka to beat him. Tsitsipas is a better player on clay, so I'm going to go with three sets, and I'll move through Steph, assuming that he figures out a way there. Uh, then Tsitsipas defeats Djokovic. I feel like there's less uncertainty with Tsitsipas. He play, he's playing better serve plus one tennis than Djokovic. That's the one thing that I have not seen from Novak yet. And if I saw this in Belgrade, maybe I would maybe I would pick Novak to win, but I haven't seen it. Good, aggressive, A-plus first serving from Djokovic. Haven't seen it yet. Shortening points, using his forehand for consistent early aggression effectively. Haven't seen that from Djokovic. I've seen it plenty from Tsitsipas. That's the deal breaker for me. And I believe Tsitsipas wins Madrid for the first time. For what it's worth, he made the final two years ago. He beat Nadal. Made the final two years ago and lost to Djokovic. Um, he lost last year in round three, but he lost to Rude. Not terrible. Lost to Rude. So I, I think there's enough results to kind of uh, for me to be confident in Tsitsipas's comfort here in Madrid. I don't love that I'm picking him to win back-to-back -back Masters 1000, but you know what? As a clay court player, he's there. He's ready to do that kind of thing. That's not easy to do, but he can do that now. And um, yeah, Tsitsipas pass over Djokovic. Hopefully my luck turns around. My, uh, I mentioned what happened in, in Miami. I picked FAA to win. And Alcaraz was my second choice. And Alcaraz won and FAA lost first round. And then in Monte Carlo, I picked Alcaraz to win and Tsitsipas was my second. Which is why I had the Alcaraz-Tsitsipas final. In this case, they weren't in the same quarter. 
Alcaraz lost first round. Tsitsipas won. So predictions. To me, I've had some bad luck here with uh, my champions because I've been close and I've been way off. Um, hopefully that turns around here. Let's get to Holger Rune. Um, Holger Rune, 19 years old, former junior number one, Roland Garros champion, talks a big game, backing from the Murata Glue Academy, lots of hype, and very, very solid results in um in last year on the lower levels not so much on tour level in fact he had not been great tour level he's gotten a lot of help from wild cards that's drawn some criticism uh, a lot of people heard about him for the first time because he said the f word the the homophobic one it, during a challenger event and that was a very unfortunate way for a lot of people to be in introduced to holger rune uh, there are a lot of parts of his personality that seem really positive, uh, that mistake aside. By the way, his apology wasn't great. Didn't help his cause. It was a little bit defensive. Um, but yeah, this was kind of his breakthrough. This man is really, really good at a lot of things, is what I'll say, to just evaluate him off the bat. Kind of reminds me of Novak Djokovic in that way. I can talk for a really long time about things he's good at. How's his shot selection? Really good, really disciplined and smart, tactical. How's his attitude? I love his attitude. He seems to really enjoy competing and he has very lofty goals for himself. And he seems to put the work in, and he's engaged on the match court, which is great. How's his forehand? Is it a weapon? Is it big? Yes, it absolutely is. Great racket speed, can totally do damage with it. It's not too loopy. It's not too flat. It's, it's a thing of beauty, really. Is his backhand attackable? No, not really. You can't really break it down. Going there is not really a way to, to beat Holger Rune. Uh, it's not going to be like a world-class best backhand in the world type thing, but it's also solid enough that it's not going, it's going to really do its job pretty well. His movement, it's good. It's explosive. His serve is um, kind of not great. You know, it, it just, it, it doesn't do a lot of damage. So he's another one of these young players who doesn't do, do a lot of damage on his serve. Uh, but how is his feel? Really good. Drop shots are great. Volleys are good. Seems like a one of those like really well-coached players. Just well-developed, great resources. Everyone who built his game from day one knew exactly what they were doing. Uh, kind of like Alcaraz. Now, he does, not, he does not have the genetic lottery athleticism that Alcaraz has. Not even close. So that's going to be a big difference. But... Um, you check a lot of boxes with Rune. A ton. And I guess like how do I interpret his title? Um, I'm happy for him. I like him as a prospect. It's extremely well deserved. However, I don't know that he's ready to really do this again anytime soon at the moment. Because the problem with Rune's game right now is his physicality, is his endurance. He says that he has talked to a lot of specialists and that he just brought a physiotherapist onto his team. But I have never seen a player so held back by a tendency to cramp and break down physically. Djokovic at the U.S. Open last year. Um, Australian Open against Taro Daniel this year. Most of the biggest matches in his pro career, he's had cramping issues. 
And that's how it's ended. Against Rude and Monte Carlo. He was cramping at the end of the second set. It's the second set. Um, it's, in, it's incredibly consistent how often the cramping has become a problem for him. And I also think his cardio is an issue. I think he's breathing too heavy. And that's hurting him. And he doesn't have, you know, he doesn't have a damaging serve. So he's not going to be able to shorten points. He's kind of a grinder. He's a good grinder, but he's he's going to have to play long rallies and he doesn't have the physicality to do it. He wins this week crushing everyone. He beats Yuri Lehechka 7-6-6-3. He beats Zverev 6-3-6-2. He beats Rusevori 6-love-6-2. Atta 6-4-6-4. Plays seven games in the final today against Vondazanskulp because Botic unfortunately had to retire. He... I mean, what was the longest match here? Longest match was an hour 37 in round one. The second longest match was an hour 28. He crushed everyone. That is kind of how he needs to win right now. That's a problem. We all know that that was kind of, you know, a lightning in a bottle run, and he's not good enough to do that uh, consistently or, you know, anytime soon once again. He's going to need to be able at the pro level to be physical with these guys. He's 19. It's fine. He'll be fine. I think he'll figure it out. The cramp thing is concerning, and it's something to monitor, but he's got so much time. And um, I, you know, it's not a long-term concern, but in the short term, I do think there's going to be growing pains here. And I thought that this week, again, he crushed everyone. That's how he needs to play because he can't, he can't hang physically right now. Against Zverev, he played an incredible tactical match. The drop shots. I mean, he just killed Zverev with the drop shots. You bring him forward. You attack his deep court positioning. You challenge his volleys. You challenge his, his ability to play well with continental grip in tight, close to the net in the forecourt, which he's, he wasn't very good at in this match. I mean, it's just a great strategy. Uh, it works so well, and he did it so consistently. He made Zverev beat him with his forehand, and the return was awesome. I mean, Zverev's first serve was not working against Rune at all. Zverev didn't serve great, wasn't really hitting his spots, but nonetheless... That's a huge first serve, and Rune deserves so much credit. All that is great. Um, so that's awesome. But at the end of the first set, he was serving for it. It was 5-3. They played a long rally at Deuce. Rune won the rally. Rune had to take a time penalty on purpose because he was so out of breath. Wasn't ready to serve, had to take it on purpose. Proceeded to hit with horrible shot selection the next two points because he had no gas. Break point, Rune was able to save it. Uh, he he had his wind back because uh, I think he like serve and volleyed and then hit a first ball backhand down the line that missed. So he played two really short points, got his breath back, and ended up holding to win the first set 6-3. But uh, they almost got back on serve in the first set. Who knows what's, what happens from there? And it was almost, it was literally Rune's lungs just killing him. Uh, he just needs to take that next step physically. Everything else I love about him. Everything else. And the fact that he's 19 and I can say that, that's pretty great. Pretty, pretty great. Um, as for Sebastian Baez, oh, I guess, you know, before I move on from Munich, let me just say, you know, Botik von de Zanschkulp, I wasn't sure the clay court sample size was tiny and I wasn't sure what we were going to get from him. Let me just say a couple things. First of all, he scrambles and moves so much better than it looks or that he looks. You know, he does not look like a professional athlete, really. He does not look fast. He is fast. He's so darn fast. His legs don't look strong, really. His upper body doesn't look strong. Uh, nothing about him looks like a fast guy. He is. He's just super fast. Plays great defense. His court coverage is awesome. 
his backhand, I mean, he rarely misses his backhand. It's it's just a tremendous shield. Uh, he trades it and defends on it extremely well. And what I wasn't sure about was his forehand, the pace generation on his forehand. And I did not know on clay, was that good enough for Botic to be a really good player on clay? He answered the question for me, yes. He answered the question this week. He can generate pace very, very well on clay or well enough on clay to, to attack with his forehand, to do damage with his forehand. I wasn't sure about that. And, you know, he just answered that question this week. In fact, he's got pretty he's got a pretty long swing path. The clay might really help him to give him that extra time and to actually accentuate his game between the defense that he can play. And look, his serve's not good. Technically speaking, it's bad. The results are not any better. And I think Clay, it's looking like it should be his best surface, all things considered, between his defense and scrambling, the fact that he can get away with the weaker serve by breaking serve a lot, by getting a lot of returns in play, right? And the fact that, you know, his forehand, it's pretty long. I think it can be rushed, but when it has time, he can certainly do damage on it. It's very precise, and he's got enough racket speed. He's got enough pop. Uh, Botic was for real this week. For real. Good signs from him. And uh, in the in the final, if you missed it, he had some chest pains and had to retire. So, very unfortunate. But, um, man, uh, hopefully he's better for Madrid. He He said 30 minutes after he was fine, but just one of those freak things. Let's talk about Sebastian Baez now and get out of here. Baez, look, I, I think six challenger titles last year. Let me fact check myself. I believe six. Let's see. Um, he won in. He won in Santiago. He won in Buenos Aires. He won in Campinas. Um. He won in Santiago again, and he won in, Zag in Zagreb. Six, my friends, all on clay. Um, it's translating. It's translating to tour level. He is 15 and 11 on the tour this year. He had a great run in Santiago, the, the non-challenger version. He made the final there, lost to Pedro Martinez. And I just want to talk about, okay, now we have another short player. We have another player who's about five foot seven and he's having success. How is Baez different? How is he the same? What what kind of player is he? What should we be looking for? I mean, look, I'm I've yet to see, I want to make this clear, I've yet to see a player who is slow, who is short, and who is good, who can survive at this level. I've yet to see that player. You know, I mean, you could say like a duty seller and Oliver Rokas, right? Uh not that either of them were slow, but they were not they were not speedsters, right? But usually, you know, Ferrer and Schwartzman were certainly elite court coverage, elite consistency, excellent uh, mentality, and, you know, just enough juice to be incredible baseliners. Oh, and great returns to make up for not having a, a, a really big, great serve. I don't think Baez is that, is kind of what I want to say. I don't think he's that. Baez is a reverse Daniil Medvedev. Whoa. I know your mind is twisting into all kinds of knots and pretzels right now. Hear me out. Daniil Medvedev and Alexander Zverev. Big guys who play small. No, big guys who get the benefit of the big serve, but from a movement standpoint and the way they're able to grind and defend, they play small. Baez is a little guy who plays big. Baez, Baez's forehand is the biggest weapon on the court often from what I've seen. Now, when I watch his matches, very often I look at Baez's forehand, that is the biggest weapon on the court. And let's face it, with Schwartzman and Ferrer, usually when it came to offensive weapon, not attribute, 
Speed is an attribute. Consistency is an attribute. Defense is an attribute. Return. Yeah, all that. Offensive weapon? Generally, they didn't have it. Ferrer's forehand, underrated. Um, never got enough respect. Excellent forehand. Baez's is bigger. It is bigger. He's got some real shot making to him. Now, he has that quickness. Again, never seen anyone slow and short and good. Haven't seen it. He's got that quickness. But what I love about Baez is that he's kind of a, a little guy. So he benefits from the, the very nimble footwork, the tremendous quickness and the court coverage. And, and uh, the way he runs around his back in a fine forehands, I think only a player of his size could really do it that well. Um, and short arms helps with that, by the way. But then he brings the power of a big guy. So that's what I'm seeing from Baez right now. And I know that's not, you know, I'll have more to say about him shortly, and I'll have in-depth match analysis um, of him as, as he keeps winning. Uh, but I do want to leave it at that for now. And uh, that is all I got for this episode of Monday Match Analysis. Um, I don't know that there is um, that much in terms of housekeeping. Excuse me. Um it's another week. I'm pretty busy with work, so not going to be too many videos uh, midweek. Just a heads up for that. Um, if you're listening on the podcast platform, uh, big big time help if you leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. All right. Uh, hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe, and I will see you next time. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallin drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallin wherever you get your podcasts.